0: Hi everyone and welcome to the February 12th, 2021 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. The pandemic is a year old. Panic has subsided and given way to frustration and some dealers in Canada have simply had enough. They don't want to deal with another economic challenge so they're selling their stores. But what makes them attractive during a pandemic? Who is buying? What's the buy-sell market going to look like in 2021? And why don't Americans want to buy Canadian dealerships? We'll get the answers to those questions and more when I speak with my guest, the founder and CEO of Dealer Solutions Mergers and Acquisitions, Mr. Fareed Ahmad, on this episode of Canada Conversations. Fareed, thanks for joining me on the show this week. Uh, You're welcome, Greg. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. You're a first time on the show. So I'm really excited to talk about this. I want to start here. Uh, We are recently reporting at Automotive News Canada that uh, you closed 34 deals in 2019. You're expected to close 32 deals in 2021. But in 2020, you closed a record 40 deals. Did you expect to close that many dealerships and see that much activity during a pandemic? Did that surprise you at all?
1: Uh, great question, Greg. You know, uh, when March hit last year, everybody was, including ourselves, we were all panicking. What's going to happen? Deals were falling apart. People that had made office said, well, now with this COVID, I'm not going to go through with it. So, no, we didn't expect to have a record year like we had, uh, both here and our U.S. Uh, company as well. So it was it was a real surprise, but a very pleasant surprise.
0: So what spurred all that activity um you mentioned it you know i think everyone was in a panic no matter where they were working or what they were doing because there was so much uncertainty what spurred people to buy and sell dealerships amid what is a a once-in-a-lifetime event sure um
1: well what i noticed was that we had deals in the pipeline from people that we were talking to in 2018-2019 so when 20 came apart, about and COVID hit, it was quite an amazing reaction from the people that were considered selling. They were like, you know what? I've been through financial crisis one after another. This COVID thing is the last straw. You know what? <laughs> I'm out. Go get me a good number and I'll, I'll look at it. So there was a lot of um, weariness from dealers who had experienced so many up and down and And they just said, you know what, I'm just not going to go through another uh, economical challenge. So if you can get me the right number, then I'll sell. And we do have a number of well-organized groups in Canada that are on the hunt to add more assets. So really, it was the perfect storm for us.
0: Who has the edge in a pandemic, in a situation like this where, you know, owners, um, they don't want to deal with this again. And there are buyers out there always looking who, who has the advantage, who holds the cards in a pandemic is, is one side or the other more attractive than the other? Well, the seller, if they're holding the right
1: brand, um, they're holding the cards and they will always hold the cards when they hold the right brand. The, those are the dealers that are, are really not holding the right brand, they are at the mercy of a buyer. So I would say it's very uh, brand-related and also location. If you're in, during COVID, if you're in a metropolitan area or within a driving distance of one, still quite bullish on those kind of stores. But if you're in a rural market, um, a lot of people looking at those deals are backing off or making offers a bit lower than they would normally do. So it's it's brand and
0: location. Is there a thought that those near a metropolitan area, such as the GTA or Edmonton or Calgary or something like that, that right. there are perhaps a small segment of folks that are going to turn away from mass transit and maybe buy more vehicles? Mm. Is Is that part of it? What makes those more attractive than rural? Good question. So
1: I think the only market where you would really need to put a microscope on are people going to make the transition from cars to public transportation would be Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. Okay. The other cities' infrastructure <clears throat> is still way behind those three cities. But what COVID has done is it's made people think, well, I don't want to get on a subway with a bunch of people and – Two of them have got COVID. So I'd rather sit in my car alone, take the journey to the office.
0: It may be longer, but I'm safer. So there's really two trains of thought there, right? If it's a seller's market and sellers are getting, are, are, are sellers getting at least their asking price or are there multiple offers the way we see the housing market uh explode mm. from time to time, that there are bidding mm. wars. Um Are dealers who are up for sale getting... Mm multiple offers, or is it a pretty straightforward one-for-one uh, sort of transaction, one-on-one? So, so I'll answer
1: the question maybe this way. If we had, let's say, a good Honda store in the GTA surrounding area, I would have got three years ago about 14 to 20 people bidding on that Honda store. Today,
0: I would say my audience is five or six. Really? So th- so there is a little less or a, a fewer Uh, bidding on it. Why is that? Um, Because the people that are more speculative buying a store
1: conserve their cash during COVID. It's the one, it's the groups or it's the buyers that have a clear strategy of growth. COVID doesn't affect them because they're looking much longer term than somebody who's being speculative. So, the five or six would actually end up being most probably very good quality compared to the 14 that I would have had three years ago. And I mean good quality. I mean, they are approved by the manufacturer. They have the finance wherewithal. They've got a good infrastructure of human capital. Um, so even though there'll be less buyers, the ones that are there are very serious.
0: And Does that make them more aggressive and drive the price up or are the prices still relatively the same as they were, say, three years ago when you had 14 suitors for a store?
1: Well, prices have dropped. Absolutely. Have they plummeted? Absolutely not. It has become extremely brand, uh, uh, brand importance and location. Absolutely. So again, I go back to what I was saying earlier. If I had the right brand in the vancouver market i would still be able to sell it for a very fair price in the rural market maybe not so much today
0: so what makes a brand attractive is it the badge is it the vehicle is it the um automaker itself and the way they do Mm -hmm. business i just wonder what makes an attractive brand they got
1: a very good market share so there's and they've been a consistent in their market share in the automotive industry. For example, if you look at Honda and Toyota's market share, I don't think there's been much of a fluctuation by more than 0.4, uh, from their, their high and their low. So, so that's really, um, uh, very important.
0: Can you pay me a picture of who is selling? Are these, um, Are they single point dealers or are they smaller groups selling to larger groups? Um, Just Mm paint me a picture of the typical seller right now amid the pandemic. Okay. So last year we sold four
1: small groups. That's where somebody's got three or more dealerships within their group. So we completed four of those transactions. The other people that were selling were people that were very much uh, looking forward to Uh, changing their lifestyle i.e. retirement so you had two you had small groups where they didn't have anybody within the family that was going to take over the group so they felt maybe this is a good time to take their money off the table and then you've got single point dealers who are going you know what i just don't want to do this anymore so those are really the profile of the sellers
0: Do you have a ballpark figure when it comes to the number of single point dealers that remain in Canada? Are there a lot, a little, just how many are out there? 1,157. See, I knew, I said to my colleagues, you would probably have (laughs) the number to a T. So is that a lot? That seems like a lot to me. Is that a large number or do you expect it to fall rapidly a lot, a little? I just wonder where that number goes.
1: Nine years ago, to give you some sort of comparison, that number was closer to 1,800 single-point dealers. So um, there's been a big shift from single-point dealers to what I call the uh, hometown dealer group. So uh, somebody, let's, say, let's use a town like Stratford, has one dealership, says, you know what, I can pick up the second one in Stratford. And they start building a little hub around their, their key location
0: that that's interesting um is the reason that the single points are selling to single points and and then creating a group is that because those who are selling just they don't have a family member who wants to take it over or they don't have say a general manager who wants to take it over um or are they just cashing out because it's the right thing to do for their family they can actually set them up uh for a better future if they sold the dealerships rather than pass it on
1: yeah, so the answer is all of the above, various okay. situations. But what dealers are looking at, the, the, the long-term dealers that have been in the business 25, 30 years, they only have one really valuable asset. That's their business. But what they look at is, look, I may have my sons and daughters in the business, but with the property value gone up as much as it has and the, the goodwill number, could my children finance this acquisition, Um Or would I have to leave a lot of money on the table for them to do it? So they always make that decision. Next, manufacturers are getting more and more particular about who the day-to-day operator is. So if a dealer has a son or a daughter that are not considered strong performers or potential general managers, then that dealer is stuck with the decision because he can't now sell it to his family.
0: Is it difficult for a single point dealer this day and age to continue to exist owning just one store, or do dealers need to have a group in order to be successful?
1: Mm. I get asked that question a lot. So, my answer is this I think if you work hard, even as a single point dealer, to deliver great service to your customers in both their sales experience and their service experience and you focus on the customer, you still, even as a single point dealer, can maintain a viable business. If you are not prepared to invest into technology, if you don't feel that you want to spend the the vast amount of money to image your facility, and if you have higher than a 31% turnover in
0: your staff annually, you really should be looking at selling. Interesting. I never thought of that as being one of the reasons to sell. Why is that? You mean the, the human resource side? Yes. Well, because what
1: by the high turnover, 31%, that would be across the board turnover. So you'd have people leaving and starting in the service department, in the sales department. I think the consumer today um, is pretty uh, uh, in, insightful on how they feel about the business they do. If they go into a store, and everybody's changed again, the people get a bit cautious, maybe I shouldn't be spending my money here. Um, Then all the cost of retraining. So even if, let's say, your service manager, you've had the second service manager in a year work for you, but he's coming from Chrysler experience, but you're a Toyota store, think about how much downtime there is in the training and the development. So turnover impacts a business from various angles. And it's always a costly – dealers should really be focused on reducing their staff turnover and that the single-point dealers.
0: I'm curious. uh, This came up in a conversation I had with uh, some colleagues uh, recently. Mm. Do you have to be a dealer Mm. to buy a dealership or can someone who is well-financed and well-off with ambition enter – the um, retail space of selling cars in Canada? Or do you have to already be in there and just continually get bigger and acquire dealerships?
1: Well, I think from the manufacturer's perspective, because at the end of the day, they would make uh, the final decision on that. Manufacturers welcome business owners that are wealthy and well-capitalized. what Because they know that those individuals will invest the money into the business that they hope somebody would However, what they will then turn to is go, okay, well, you're certainly qualified on the financial side. Now tell me about your operational plan. Tell me about your budget. Tell me about your business plan. And if that finance individual cannot come up with a, a, a solution to the manufacturer's challenges, i.e., having the right people in place, uh, they will not get approved as a dealer. It's because it's not all about the money. It's about the money and it's about your human resource structure in your dealership. And it's about a good executable business plan.
0: So you have to enter almost with some of that know-how on some level in order to convince an automaker that you can run the business successfully.
1: Yeah. And what manufacturers really like, quite honestly, is that the general manager who has the experience to run the store, is a vested interest general manager. So that general manager has got sk- some skin in the game. It could be 5 10 20%. Manufacturers are really looking for that because then they've got some stability. They've got somebody that's got their skin on, uh, on the line. So it's working with somebody that's got money, but working with a, an operator that's got vested interest.
0: Of late, we've seen so many dealer groups buying U.S. dealerships. Uh, Steel, uh, Foundation, Auto Canada, they've all recently bought U.S. stores. Why are they buying U.S. stores?
1: Well, um, I think it, this goes to people's long-term plan. And if they feel bullish about the automotive economy, the United States, one thing it does offer is multiples of, are at least 40% lower than they are in Canada. So if you compared like-for-like brand, let's use Honda as an example again, if let's say Honda was a six or a seven multiple here, it would be about a four multiple in the United States. So it's actually cost-effective when buying a store. The challenge is people are nervous about Who's going to run it? How are you going to get down there? The currency fluctuation. But the ones that are buying down there are buying
0: because they see opportunity. Is it market-based? Just they have so much population and so many people. Is that a driver? And I noticed too that a lot of these stores are in Texas, which um, isn't heavily taxed. Is that a, a factor in all of this?
1: I I wouldn't be able to comment on that part, but I can tell you um, dealerships that are within a metropolitan area, as you said, in the United States, are so much higher in multiple value than their rural counterpart. In fact, the difference is tremendous. Again, I'll give you maybe a a made-up example. In the United States, if a dealer was paying a five multiple for a Honda store in Atlanta – and there was a store 50 miles outside Atlanta, they would be offering a a two-and-a-half multiple. It's much more acute because American deal agreements with their manufacturers give them a much larger trading area. Hence, you can sell more cars and hence make more money. So why would you go into a rural market where you've got a limited number of cars to sell when you can buy a big store in a good market where you can easily find people. So it's really, it's about what makes more common sense. I personally would say to you, the rural markets in the US, the dealers in those markets are much worse off than the rural market dealers in Canada.
0: Wow, and we have some dealerships in some very rural areas in Mm, Canada, mm, in far-flung places. I'm mm. curious, you, you mentioned the currency fluctuation Mm. and i've always wondered this why don't u.s groups see canada as an attractive place to buy dealerships and do business because after all their money goes much further here they're getting 25 to 30 cents on their dollars so what stops them from coming north of the border to buy dealership groups or dealers uh, on their own great question
1: and and i don't think this problem is going to be solved anytime soon but there's maybe a few key factors (coughs) number one Are multiples are much higher than they are in the United States, and the US buyers can't get their head around that. Number two, we're much heavily much more heavily taxed than our business here in Canada, which they don't like. Number three, the dealer agreements that Canadian dealers have with their manufacturers in Canada are much stricter and less. Flexible than the dealer agreements U.S. dealers enjoy in the United States, so those are the three top reasons why I think pe- a lot of American groups have come and looked at Canada, um, and have gone back.
0: So they they've kind of window shopped, kicked the tires, ran the numbers, mm. and, and stayed mm. home.
1: Correct. I had a very the lo- one of the largest privately owned dealer groups. I think they've now up to maybe to 260 rooftops they had us they gave us a target list of dealers that that they would like to buy but the americans think much bigger because we don't have that many stores that the average dealer in canada is selling 436 new vehicles but the average dealer in the united states is selling 1100 so you don't have the volume that Again, these Americans enjoy. So the way they'd come into the, into Canada is if they could get a great deal on a dealer group, which would give them su- uh, size in the country.
0: Right? They're after more volume, and so you would only Absolutely. get you would only achieve that volume through a, a, a group sale if you are a group purchase, I guess. But the group that's here would not sell for the price the Americans would pay. Right. But we're, we continue to, I don't want to say flood or flock south of the border, but there is certainly interest south of the border from um, Canadian groups. So, what are Canadians, uh, like, it must be. What is their impression after they buy a U.S. dealer group when things are so different? And you mentioned Mm. it, the the franchise Mm. agreements and the volume. And and so how do Canadians manage when they're over there? Do they enjoy it more for the same reasons the Americans like staying home and not buying Canadian stores and and groups? Yeah, I I think
1: because we're a very
0: conservative society in Canada and because the
1: automotive industry here is highly governed and because the manufacturer... Is quite influential in how a a dealer runs their business in Canada. All of those things don't exist in the United States. I call the United States the Wild Wild West because (laughs) you you can go into the United States and literally um, get away with much more than how your hands are tied here in Canada. So if you if you think bigger, you're prepared to take risks. It's a great opportunity, but the downside is is that you, you have to forsake quality of life. Um, you're going to struggle with, uh, with uh, finding good talent because I think there's much more good talent in the retail car business in Canada as far as quality goes on average than there is in the United States. The United States really struggling to find quality people that will work in a car dealership and stay
0: can you just lay out the differences between the franchise agreements on both sides of the border because I have often heard that that it you mentioned it your hands are tied more tightly in Canada. What are the differences between those you must know because you deal with sales on both sides of the border Sure so uh,
1: I, I, I wouldn't know all the differences to be honest with you I haven't studied the. US dealer agreement and a Canadian dealer agreement but the most common things <coughs> I notice that dealers don't like in the United States is the manufacturer <coughs> excuse me how they um uh, are able to insist that they have to approve whoever they sell their business to so that's very restrictive to some dealers in the you know in the united states they're not used to that how their the territories in which to trade in i think there's Lots of uh, lots of different little things that add up to a big thing when you look at the restrictions imposed on Canadian dealers from the
0: manufacturer. Fareed, uh, great conversation, fascinating stuff. Appreciate you being on the show. We hope to get you You're back. More than welcome. My Will you friend. join me again in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Any time. You just let me know when, pal. We reached Fareed at his office in the Greater Toronto area. And if you want to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion, simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous shows on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the Canada Conversations tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.